warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am here with my girlfriend Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today we are bringing you another Black Widow killer. We are going to be getting into the case of Betty Newmar. But before we get into that, if you are new here, hello and welcome. Returning Spooksters, welcome back. Thank you for listening each week. We love you so much. And if you would like to hang out with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at 3 Spooked Girls. We also have our amazing Facebook group. It is 3 Spooked Girls Official. We just closed up signups for Secret Satan. Jessica and I are fucking pumped because there are 119 of you guys who have signed up. So I cannot wait. I love this time of year. I love seeing the threads with everyone's boxes and all the spooky things. It's literally my favorite thing we do in the group the whole year. Mine too. I I, mm-hmm. I just love it. I mean, for me, it's like you get this box in the mail and Inside of it is like all the spooky goodness and it's like things that you like and there's candy. As Tara knows, <laughs> last year I wasn't eating candy around Halloween. So mm-hmm. I was like sad that I didn't have candy. But this year I'm like, <laughs> I can have the candy. <laughs> yes. Oh, love it. Love it. And if you missed out, don't worry. We do a couple other smaller scale exchanges during the year as well. So hang out with us over there. We're at almost 3,000 members, so go, go, go. Okay, cool, because I'm weird and like numbers. <laughs> and if, like, I'm just so annoying, it's fine. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls. For as little as a dollar, you get one bonus episode a month. Five and up, you get ad-free episodes, typically a day early. And I got told by one of our pod friends to look into... I don't even know what it's actually called. It's like Apple Premium or something. And you can do the ad-free and bonus episodes also that way. So that may be coming. If that's something that would pique your interest, just just let us know. Like, it probably is two clicks for me to do it. I just haven't, you know, what have you. But why not? And Jessica and I have a, like, boutique-style shop set up, the Spookster Shop. It is in the link tree as well. We got all kinds of cool stuff there. I just got a shipment in of spell candles and little witchy jar things that are cute. So with gift giving coming up, those are awesome. 
I do bath bombs, things like that, too. Jessica does blind date books. There's no, like, cycle. She does them all the time. So Mm -hmm. if you want a book from Jess, if you want something from our shop, if you want a tarot reading, if you want all the things, go over there. It's it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. And we're going to have some cool stuff coming as well as we get into holiday season that I've been looking at. So check it the fuck out. And if you are on TikTok or have the app on your phone, maybe it's just been chilling there and you're not following me, please do so. My handle is spooky underscore sleuth. I do a lot of short form content similar to what we do here. And then now I've also started incorporating movies, TV, and books a lot more just because that's kind of stuff that makes me happy. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do this. And it's been well recepted. So yeah, check it out. Check it out. All right. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just dive on into Betty's story. So Betty was born on November 27th, 1931 in Ironton, Ohio to Otis and Elizabeth Walden Johnson. And they didn't stay there long. When Betty was a child, they relocated down to Florida because her father had switched from a career as a coal miner and began working on the railroads. And her whole life, even into adulthood, Betty was known as someone who loved wearing lots of jewelry. We're talking like a bunch of necklaces, rings, you know, silver, gold, different jewels, things like that. She always had herself done up. She took care of herself and she loved makeup. She was described as someone who was always wearing rings and neck like rings, necklaces, the whole nine, all the things. Very material girl. She she loved it. And she was very well liked. You know, people liked her. Those who knew her described her as funny, sassy, feisty and had a potty mouth that would, quote, make a sailor blush. So, you know, kind of like me and Jessica, but we don't have that murderous trait. It's fine. Yeah, we don't kill people. (laughs) And so Betty graduated from Point High School in 1949. Shortly after this, she married her first husband, Clarence Malone. She was 18 and he was 19, which I'm always like, "Mm." they got married out of high school. They married some like 35 year old man. What the fuck happened? But no, it's just teenage love. So, you know, (laughs) I do that every time when they're like, and she married right out of like, she married six days out of her high school graduation. I'm like, what 47 year old is this pervert? And then it's like right. her high school sweetheart. They've been dating since like they were 12. And you're like, I would like to recant my thoughts. <laughs> well, especially in this time period. You know what I mean? Like it was very common. So I was honestly shocked that it was somebody in her age bracket. Like not even like her as a person, just like in general, you know? Yeah. And during their marriage, they had a son together. His name was Gary, and the couple was only married for two years. So in 1951, they would get divorced, and according to court documents in her divorce papers, she had stated that Clarence had abused her, so that was the reason for the divorce. Now, two short years. That makes sense. Yes. Sadly, another thing that was pretty fucking common, so I can believe it. Now, two short years after that, Betty found love again. And on February 9th, 1953, she married a man named James A. Flynn. There's not a lot about like, I will just say this right now. There is not a lot of background info on these people, which is unfortunate, but Mm -hmm. there's just not. I fucking we both looked. So (laughs) yeah, disclaimer. There's literally just like a document about James Flynn. Yeah. Betty's second husband, James died just two years into their marriage in 1955. And his death was really weird. It was never looked into. And the only thing that was stated about it was that Betty told authorities that he had died on a pier somewhere in New York, which is kind of a hike from Florida. 
just it's such like a weird thing but she's like he froze to death on a pier in florida near trucks or shipping yards <laughs> and you're like hmm. i mean it's just odd because i was like at first i was like well maybe he had some kind of job like that was his right. like he had a job that dealt with like you know that kind of thing i was like okay but it's like i don't and know like the only it's thing, just weird and it's then there's like a death certificate like that's it like, like that's, that's it. all we have is like he died yeah and it goes off what she said, obviously. So, you know, like, it's just like, dead, bye. Right. And, like, part of me is like, where is his body? Like, did they ever find a body or did she just ask for a death certificate? I don't know. Being in the 50s, it could have went that way. Right. You know, just like her first marriage, she was very fertile myrtle. They had a child during their short time together. They had a daughter named Peggy. Now, there, there was, like, besides the mention that they had a daughter, there was... Nothing. So I, I'm assuming she probably just didn't want to be all up in this type right. of thing, which you cannot blame her, right? And in true Betty fashion, she wasted no time. And just a year after that, she was married to a man named Richard Sills. And this would be husband number three. Now, Richard was a service member in the Navy. And they got together. Their marriage was in 1956. And these two were actually married for quite some time. So during their marriage, she attended and graduated from beauty school around 1960. But tragedy follows Betty everywhere. And in 1967, according to Betty, the two were alone in their apartment and they were arguing and he pulled a gun out and shot himself. What? And the police ruled this a suicide. But the weird thing is where he supposedly shot himself. You yeah. think a suicide, okay, probably in the head, through his mouth, you know, that kind of thing. But no, it was like under his armpit, basically, like in his side. Yeah. It was weird. I don't know. It was just like weird. But they didn't look into it. Navy didn't look at No one fucking looked into it. They're just like, okay, your husband committed suicide. All right, we'll take your... Mm, but you said that you got in an argument. Like today, that would not have flowed at all. They would have been like, you guys got in an argument. This is a weird place. He sh supposedly shot himself. We're going to fucking look at this. And if I'm right, right, I don't know if it was this one or a different one, but I think he had more than one gunshot wound. I think he had two. This is true, but we don't find this out until yeah. much later. Oh, oh, just kidding. Spoilers. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I was just like thinking at that point. <laughs> they do technically like. So basically, like what Tara was saying is that they call the local. She calls the local police and she's like. My husband has shot himself. You know, I'm being, mm. I don't know, Southern dramatic. <laughs> they come and she's she's pretty shaken, but kind of calm. And they like look into it and they're like, okay, he killed himself. He shot himself in the heart from the side, which I don't know about you, but if I was going to shoot myself in the heart, like just one, as a woman, I have to lift my boob. But like two, it's like <laughs> you wouldn't. Yeah. I would think that going from the side would be a bad move because you would there's a huge possibility you wouldn't have it in the right spot. Whereas right, like exactly. straightforward, you're pretty much if you're in the right location of your heart, you're good. Yeah. So it, it's just weird. Yeah. So weird. his gun wounds, it went through his heart, but then another one like pierced his liver. Mm hmm. But they called the local, like, the local police, and because Tara, like, Tara mentioned he was a service member, they called NCIS, which is, like, the naval mm -hmm. blah, crime scene, blah, 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 you know? So Gibbs came mm -hmm. himself out and looked, but apparently, like, <laughs> Gibbs back then was horrible. Oh, if you don't get the NCIS reference in the Gibbs, it's literally a TV show. Ask your grandparents. Or me or Tara. Yes. 
We're your grandmas now. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Come, children. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. All right. So just like her previous marriages, we're going to keep that theme that she's going to keep on moving because that's that's what these women do. We know that. So enter a very important man in this, not saying the others aren't, so nobody at me, but for this case, a very noteworthy person named Harold Gentry. Now, Harold was originally from Norwood, North Carolina. He was in the Army, and at this time, he was stationed down in Florida. And him and Betty met when he went to the salon she worked at to get a haircut down in Key West. And they fell in love, and you can guess what happened next. They got fucking married, and Betty and Harold were married in January of 1968. And they moved quickly as well because by December of 1968, Betty was pregnant with their daughter named Kelly. And Kelly is very vocal and involved when it comes to this case. Yes, she is. Yes. You see her in Snapped. There's a Snapped episode on this. I would venture to guess she is in the BBC documentary on this. She's obviously not in Deadly Women because that's mainly reenactments. But there, there's a few things on Betty, if you would like to watch them. So Kelly, in the Snapped episode, talks about how they were both great parents to her. Like, she did not have a traumatic childhood, nothing like that. Like, it was totally fine. And Harold stayed in the army. He he was career with it. And he would be, he retired after 21 years of service. And during the time that they were all together in a family and all of that, when Kelly was younger, you know, being a military family, you move a bunch, right? And Kelly talked about how they went overseas for one of his assignments. And she was like, honestly, it was the greatest thing. It was so cool because I'm assuming they were probably in like Germany or something. Cause she's like, mm-hmm. we got to bounce around to all these different countries. I got to experience a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have if my dad wasn't in the service, you know, like good memories, nothing bad. And so once he hit his 21 years, like I said, he retired. And when he retired, they decided to move back to his hometown of Norwood, North Carolina. And this puts us in 1976. And his his sister and her husband gifted him a plot of land so they could build their house. So they would have their forever home. And that's exactly what they did. They built their house in this, you know, neighborhood, like safe rural neighborhood community. Mm-hmm. Norwood, very small town vibes. Everybody knew each other, all of that good stuff. And everybody loved both of them. They liked them. You know, they had nothing bad to say. You know, they were very well known in their little community with their neighbors and in town. Everybody loved them. And like, there's a, I can't remember, I didn't write down what his name was, but one of the neighbors, you know, he knew Harold very, he knew the family very well. And he said, you know, Harold was one of those guys like you wanted as a neighbor. Like if he knew somebody needed help with a project, needed help with whatever, he was there and he would do it. Mm -hmm. And he was just a nice guy. And they were also very well known for their their hobby of gardening. And they did this together and they really enjoyed it. And Kelly even talks about, you know, growing up, she's like, my mom loved her flowers like didn't matter where we lived we always had tons and tons of them so then when we got this house you know we had a garden we had all a bunch of different kinds of flowers and her and my dad would go out there you know like that kind of stuff like very wholesome very it's wholesome like, stuff so cute and then you remember that we're a true crime podcast <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like that meme it's like it was perfect till it wasn't 
there <laughs> that reminded me today i was like scrolling through facebook and i met in like a vampire diaries pit group or whatever and someone had posted like it's always going to be stefan you know mm-hmm. like that thing and then all the comments were like until it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> oh god and also even though he had a full retirement he was someone who liked to keep busy he liked you know he he couldn't just live Obviously, he was still like pretty young, too. So he he got another job. He Harold was working at the Royal Chemical Company. So obviously, this not only added to their income, but it, you know, it gave him something to do. So he wasn't bored all the time. So, you know, and he just like he very much had like grandpa, very nice man vibes to me because Mm -hmm. like they talk about how he always like, you know, all the neighbor stuff that I already talked about. But then also like he always had a pipe in his mouth and all of that, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Like the tobacco old man comforting yeah. smell. I know that sounds kind of like gross maybe, but like. No, I, t- I totally get it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My great grandpa used to smoke a pipe. And so like I kind of, mm-hmm. the smell of it reminds me of him. It's like or nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like literally in a great way, like everybody loved him and he had no enemies, no bad blood, with like nothing. He was just a great guy. So on July 14th, 1986, Harold did not show up for work. And this was a huge red flag because he was always extremely dependable. He never no called, no showed ever. Right. Mm -hmm. So eventually one of his neighbors slash his friend, the guy I kind of mentioned for two seconds earlier, got a call and they're like, hey, can you go check on Harold? Because we're worried. We haven't heard from him. He never came to work. You know, that kind of thing. So the neighbor's like, sure, let me fucking like, let me walk over there and let me go see. Right. Well, when he got there, he noticed that the back sliding glass door was open. So he's like, okay. And as soon as he walked in, he found Harold's body on the ground. He had six gunshot wounds and he was still clutching his chest and still had his pipe in his mouth. Mm. That was the part that got me. It's like so fucking sad. Yeah. It was the pipe in the mouth. I was like, oh, he was just totally ambushed. I know. It was so fucking sad. And the house was in complete disarray. It looked like somebody had, you know, tried to ransack the place, maybe broke in and that kind of thing. But there was no signs of forced entry. But like with that, though, like it's not anything too weird because literally this was, you know, that time period where nobody fucking locked their doors, especially in a small rural town. Like Mm -hmm. just it was it wasn't weird that they didn't find no forced entry. That doesn't mean nobody came in the house and did something, you know. Which is what I really thought was interesting is because, like, when you watch Snapped, they're like, they say that. They're like, well, it was a small town. Everyone trusted each other. And then, like, on Deadly Women, they were like, someone would have had to arrange to let them in. No. If the doors are, like, the fuck? <laughs> cool. Also, like, <laughs> he came in the back door. I don't know. I just thought it was weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But anyways, so of course, said neighbor, you know, he calls 911, authorities come, all of that stuff. And so they, when they find him dead, they're like, okay, where the fuck is Betty? Where's his wife? Right? And, you know, this is 1986, so no cell phones, no social media, none of that exists. So it takes a minute to find out where the fuck she is. They're like, well, because like, you never know, because it could have been like, did whoever did this take her? Right. You know, like that could have been a possibility. No, my first thought was when they were like, and then we had to track down Betty. I'm like, how the fuck are you not finding her? And then I'm like, oh, wait, Jessica, that was literally 36 years ago. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, I'm surprised they, like, good thing they eventually did. So when they did find Betty, she was three hours away in Marietta, Georgia, and she was getting her dually truck serviced. And at first I was like, what the fuck? Why the fuck does she go across state lines and go three hours away? But apparently, I don't know anything about cars, so sorry. But apparently this was like a bougie ass truck that like she's the only one in town who had one and she legit had to go to this specific shop to get it worked on, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, all right, fair. Dooley's are the ones with the double tires in the back. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if there's more axles. I don't know that shit. I just know that there's two sets of tires in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Moral of the story is she had to go to a specific shop. Mm -hmm. And once Betty was tracked down and contacted, she immediately came back. And authorities looked right away into to be like, was she really there? Like, what was going on? But like, you know, she not only did she provide receipts and stuff like that, but they contacted the shop and the shop was like, yes, she was here. We serviced her vehicle, blah, blah, blah. And then also they talked to the friends that she said she stayed with and they were like, yes, she stayed with us, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when speaking with authorities, Betty mentioned there was a yellow Mercedes with four unknown men that kept pulling into her driveway and that this happened more than once. And, you know, there was this there was this fact that Harold was super into collecting and restoring antique clocks. And a lot of those were worth quite a bit of money. So they were like. Maybe this person knew this and they were trying to steal some and then things went bad. But what was interesting was literally nobody else in Norwood met this description. Nobody had this car. Nobody had seen this car. So it being that it's a fucking yellow vehicle, they thought that was weird. And it just it turned into this dead end because it's like a very specific vehicle. It's not like, oh, it was a white F-150. You know what I mean? Right. No, I just kept thinking, like, I know what it's like to have a yellow car because Tara had a yellow car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tara could never be like, I wasn't driving past your house. It'd be like, no, bitch. <laughs> I saw you in no. your yellow Mustang. Yeah. Considering I had a bright ass yellow car and we lived in a tiny town. Yes. Everyone would have known it. Everyone would have seen it. There would have been at least one person that had been like, Holy shit, yeah, I saw this car and I was like, what the fuck is that doing here type of thing? Right. But that goes nowhere. So, of course, while they're doing this, you know, they had asked Betty, like, well, when did you go down to Marietta and stuff? And she said, because I believe this was on a Monday when this happened. Mm -hmm. So she had went down the previous she went down on Sunday the previous night or afternoon. She said to have left between like two to four. So she was out of town. But when they were talking to neighbors and stuff, they said that they heard gunshots Sunday night. But because obviously rural area like. You're just like, whatever, someone's out doing whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, type of thing. So nobody thought anything of it at the time, which is like, you can't blame them because I get that. You know what I mean? Like, understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So people, they were worried, like, holy shit, maybe something happened after Betty left on Sunday night. So, you know, as authorities look into this, sadly, it would go days into weeks, weeks into months and months into years. Harold's case slowly started to grow cold. But Al, his brother Al, MVP, was Mm -hmm. like, no, fuck this. Somebody needs to look into my brother's case. So that's what he did. And now I'm going to hand it to Jessica to let you know what happened with that. Yes. So Al, like we mentioned, MVP of this case. So Al was like, I'm going to find someone who's going to help me with my brother's case. And he would talk Mm -hmm. to anyone and everyone. And I kind of get the feeling when I was watching Snap that Al has since he, he died yeah. yeah i think i just like missed that aspect because his wife was mm-hmm. on the show and she was mm-hmm. talking and you know it was like one of those things where 
if you gave Al five minutes of your time, he was going to be like, hey, my brother was murdered. Nobody has found his murderer. And he was going to find someone to help him. So flash forward 20 years later, and he is at like an event or out in public, and he comes across somebody who is running for sheriff, and his name is Rick Burris. And Rick is like, I want to be your sheriff, vote for me, you know, like election shit. Mm-hmm. And Al walks up to him and goes, hey, look, you have my support, but I want you to look into my brother's murder. And I don't know if like Rick did this as like, one of those like handshakes where he's like, sure, I'll look into this. Like, But when Rick gets elected in 2006, he goes, you know what? I'm going to keep my word to Al. I'm going to look into this case. And all he had to do was look into it. And immediately Rick was like, something's fucking wrong mm-hmm. shit's not lining up because one of the things is is like when betty got back betty wasn't upset right betty was just like hello it was all reflected so you know al's telling rick you know betty and betty and harold were fighting all the time in fact she was basically spending them out of house and home and my boy harold was my brother harold was living in a travel trailer in the backyard mm-hmm. and he was coming in and out of the house through the back door. So that's the reason the back door was unlocked is because that was Harold's way of getting in to take a shower, to go to the bathroom, to cook himself food. But he was mm-hmm. sleeping in a travel trailer because they were having problems, which is a mm-hmm. consistent factor in Betty's life. When there's having problems, her husband's go away. Yep. So Rick Burris, newly elected Stanley County Sheriff, He is going to look into this. So what he does is he starts looking at local papers and he really looks into this. So he goes, you know what? I'm going to do this. He calls together a meeting with his detective, Detective Lieutenant Scott Williams, and also a Detective Lieutenant Dr. Laura Petler. He put them right on there. He's like, you're going to look into this. And, you know, Laura looks into this and is like, there's a lot of interesting things. So the first mm-hmm. thing that you do is you start running background checks on people who were the closest to the victim. Now, who would be the closest to this victim? Betty. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. prob- they probably ran a background check on Al, too. Yeah. But, like, I'm pretty sure if 20 years later you're like, can you look into my brother's murder? You're not guilty. Right. You would have been like, all right, we're going to let that go cold and not nope. talk about it. <laughs> it would have been weird if he never talked about it again. So Mm -hmm. they start looking into it. They look at crime scene photos. They start looking at things. One of the first things they notice with the crime scene photos is that Harold is overkilled. He has, like Tara said, six shots, a couple in the front, a few in the back. He was not just like, boom, like startled shot. He was, Mm -hmm. I shot this dude till he died. Shot. And they start looking at the, the crime scene photos and they immediately know just from like years of work that burglary was staged. Mm-hmm. So they start looking into things that were like taken and they were like not things. Like Tara mentioned, Harold had a mass collection of these clocks and some of them mm-hmm. were worth a lot of money and none of them were taken. But like right. the Linux crystal was taken, which I get. I own Linux crystal. The shit's expensive, but it's not like mm-hmm. expensive enough that you're going to murder someone and ransack their house for it. Right. And I'm pretty sure if, like, I don't think Harold was, like, fighting over the Linux crystal. He probably was like, it's fine. You could have it. <laughs> and then, like, something, like, off their nightstand. something. There were, like, four items taken, and they weren't of any monetary value. Like, you weren't going to go out and mm-hmm. sell them and make money. 
Right. So they get back Betty's background check and they start looking at the connections in Betty's life. And specifically, like, they think they called it like a relationship graph. And Mm -hmm. they realize that Betty has been married five times and all five of her husbands are dead. Mm-hmm. And you might be thinking right now, well, wait a second. Tara only mentioned four names. <laughs> Plot That's because Betty would move on, and we'll talk about him in a minute, but Betty remarried. And 20 years later, he's gone. Yep. Okay, so let's start with, like, her first husband, Clarence Malone. He was fatally shot in the back of the head in 1970 in, like, a robbery I'm going to say this, like, they go on to, like, they they try to make this one sound like Betty had something to do with it. There's no way. Right. When when he was murdered, they had been divorced for, like, seven years, and he'd been remarried twice. And she, like, he lived somewhere else. Right. Didn't he? In Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And she was, like, not there. So, mm-hmm. it is a coincidence that he was murdered. I don't know why I giggled. Mm-hmm. It was just awkward. I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah, it's like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, it was just a robbery that had gone wrong and he was murdered. And, you know, they had been divorced for a long time. And then, like Tara mentioned, James Flynn, she claimed that he froze to death in a truck in New York City on a pier. But then, apparently, she told other people that he got shot on a pier. So nobody fucking knows. And... I don't know where James Flynn is, but like maybe somebody should find him. Yeah. But that's a little, that was 1955 that, you know, is a bit later. Mm hmm. Like we mentioned earlier with Richard Sills, he died in 1967 to apparent self inflicted gunshot wounds. But then Detective Williams and Detective Petler look at these crime scenes and it's like, this is where they're like, wait a second. There are two gunshot wounds. And they're like, in the history of suicide, they don't know of any case where someone has shot themselves once, not killed themselves, and then pulled the trigger again. Because Mm -hmm. our bodies, like, there's a reason why when people, like, strangle themselves, it's not like they can't just hold their hand to their throat. Right. Because your body has a self-defense mechanism that stops it from being hurt. Yeah. Because of that, if you shot yourself in the side, unless you have that, like, I guess, unless he had that, like, you know, that weird disease or that weird, it's not a disease, it's like a condition where you don't feel pain. Like, unless he had that, his body was going to throw the gun down. Right. So they were like, we've never seen this happen with anyone before. So that's highly suspicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, it is noted that apparently Betty tried to pretend like she was, that her kids weren't in the house. They were home. Oh, fuck. They found this out later. (laughs) They were like, what the fuck? So there was like, apparently they could like go back and kind of like ask them like what happened. And so they like asked them and they were like, yeah, they were fighting. And then we heard gunshots. But like no one asked children. Like no one in 1967 is going to ask a child what happened. Yeah. They took the wife Mm -hmm. so then betty is with her now we're up to her fourth husband which is harold we all know how that happened that ended Mm -hmm. so basically right after harold died betty 
uprooted her life in Florida and moved to Augusta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And she would meet her fifth husband. His name was John mm-hmm. Newmar. And they would meet and then they would get married in 1991. Well, fun fact, John was worth about 300000 or had more than $300,000 in his, like, bank account when they got married. But in 2000, they filed bankruptcy and were $200,000 in debt. Uh And that $200,000 in debt was spread over 43 credit cards. Holy shit. That's a lot. Yeah. One of the facts that, like, people, like, like to talk about with Betty is that she had this, like, proclivity for spending. Mm -hmm. So, like, with every single one of her husbands, they've always complained to, like, other friends that, like, Betty was trying to spend them out of house and home. If they brought money in, she'd spend it faster than they brought it in. Like, that kind of shit. And obviously with John, like, he had a nice sizable nest egg set up for him. And then, boom, gone. So then they, you know, they were, they were struggling for a few years. Because in nine years, she had spent over half a million dollars. Holy fuck. Right. So, in about 2007, John gets sick. It's like, mm. 2000, like 2006, 2007. John gets sick and he's actually diagnosed with the blood disease sepsis, which is basically that you become septic and your, your organs start to fail, which is, sounds terrible. And he yeah. would actually go on to die in 1979. Now, you would think that Betty, Miss my, All My Husbands Die, would know how to handle the situation. She did not. In fact, he had, like, children independent of her. Mm-hmm. And they found out that their father had passed away. I don't mean to laugh, but this is so fucked up. They found out their father had died because they read it in the newspaper. Can you fucking imagine? Just, like, oh my sitting down to morning coffee with your fucking newspaper, and it'd be like, John Newmar dies, leaves Bro. debt to wife. <laughs> That's all I can say. So then they they call her and they're like, Betty, oh my God, what happened? And she's like, yep, your father died. He had sepsis. Oh my God, we want to come see him. We want to like, you know, have a funeral for him. She goes, nope. Too late. I've already cremated him. Bro. He's he's gone. I cremated him. That to me would have been like, then give me my fucking father's ashes. Mm -hmm. Like Tara knows me at this point. There would have been like a rage bitch pop out of me. Absolutely. No one I think would have ever seen. so many fucking people. Like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Fun fact sepsis mimics arsenic poisoning. <gasps> I knew that. <laughs> Pretend like I didn't. Pretending I didn't. So, at this point in time, <laughs> the detectives in Florida with Harold's case are like, we need to go and talk to Miss Betty about what the fuck's going on. They take a trip to Georgia. And they go in and they knock on the front door and nobody answers. So they kind of hear some commotion in the backyard and they go around. And (laughs) Detective Dr. Laura Petler says that when she walked into the backyard, Betty was sitting there gardening like she does. And her white hair was glistening in the light and it looked so angelic. And I was like, why why do we got to call her angelic? Really? And she had to, like, tell herself, like, remind herself, like, this is not your grandma. This is not your grandma. This is nobody's grandma. This is not a grandma. Like, that kind of thing. And they start talking to Betty. 
And they're like, hey, you know, we're from, we're investigating your ex-husband's death. And she immediately was like, mm, shut the fuck up. She went from this friendly, like, hi. Like, I just imagine them walking in the backyard and she'd be like, hi, y'all. Like, very nice. Very like, look at my flowers. Mm. And then all of a sudden be like, yep. get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> like, that's what I imagined it. Uh-huh. And they start talking about her other husband's deaths and she like well you know i didn't have anything to do with malone's death because i wasn't with him and then james flynn froze to death rick committed suicide and she actually like pointed how he held the gun and like shot mm-hmm. himself like to her to her side yeah and then she's like and then we know what happened with harold he was murdered and you guys never caught the murderer and so <laughs> You know, and then she was just like, that's the matter of fact. And then she just decided to not participate any further. So they go home and, and they do that. Then they come back a little later because when they're doing the investigation back home, some interesting facts have come out. And one of them is, is that neighbors, people that, that Betty knew, that Harold knew, started saying things like, Betty was just walking around and asking people to kill her husband. Uh-huh. And then they look back and a couple weeks prior to Harold's murder, someone at like a local store who either worked or owned like a hot tub and pool store. This guy is like, you know, I don't really know Betty. I know her like how, you know, the person you buy milk from at the store. Like, you know, you might know her name. But, like, he called and told either the FBI or the police, I think it was the FBI, that Betty had asked him to kill Harold. And they apparently didn't take it seriously or it got lost because nobody fucking followed up on it. But 20 years later, in 2000, I think it's eight at this point that they're down there, they've interviewed this person. So they realize that they can arrest Betty on the testimony of this guy for conspiracy not conspiracy to commit murder, but for solicitation of a, like a homicide. Mm-hmm. So they go get her. She's all pissed the fuck off. She's like, I can't go to jail. I don't have my metal comb. I don't have my blue hair shampoo. Like, these are the things that she's saying to them. And the detectives the are fuck? like, like, I could just see that the detectives are like, bitch, you don't get this. Even if we were to say, oh, yeah, go ahead and grab that, hon. You're not taking them with you. You can't have a metal comb and or blue. I guess you get a blue shampoo, but like you ain't getting no metal comb, <laughs> right? That's you, a weapon. Are you going to shank someone, Grandma? <laughs> Stop it! So I mean, I wouldn't put it past her. So then you know they arrest her and they start looking through her house. They have a warrant. They start discovering things, and in her shed, her like gardening shed, they find an urn, and it's John's <gasps> urn. Her fucking husband isn't even in the house with her. He's in the fucking potting shed. Mm-hmm. And then in the potting shed as well, they find a bunch of heavy metal products. Uh-oh. Products that have heavy metal in them, I should say. Not products that are like rocking. So they decide to take the cremains, which I did not know was an actual term. And they sent them off and they got, they eventually get it back and it says, Yep, there's heavy metal in here. But since he was cremated, we can't tell how much. Mm. And I started thinking, like, literally, he's in a metal urn. Yeah, that's true. And he was cremated. So depending on, like, the crematorium, like, there could be chemicals there. We don't know. We don't know. But they know that there is some. 
So they can't get her on. They can't get her on this. So Betty's in jail, and she's in jail until about October. They kind of go down there in, like, I want to say the spring. And so she's there all summer. And at one point in time, her bail was $500,000. And, you know, you have to put up, like, what, 10% of it. And then that's when they were going to also charge her with conspiracy for murder of, of John. But then they couldn't, so they had to drop that charge. And she only had the solicitation, which only had a bail of $300,000. And Miss Betty posted bail and immediately did what you're not supposed to do, which is fucking skip town. Detectives had to track her the fuck down. And she was living in Louisiana with her daughter. And I can imagine as Al and his wife are sitting there going, okay. The other thing is, is that most of the time when it comes to like big cases like this, you're looking at years, a year, two years to put together a murder trial, especially something that is so circumstantial, where it's like a dude is the only thing. And right. it's been over 20 years. Well, Betty's supposed to be going back and forth to North Carolina for like court appearances, and she just can't make it because. One day, she's really not feeling well, and her daughter takes her to the doctor, and they decide they need to do a full body scan, and come to find out, Betty is riddled with cancer. Mm -hmm. She has the cancer all over. And she basically is hospitalized and never goes to trial, and on June 13th, 2011, she passes away from cancer in the hospital. Now, according to her daughter, her and Harold's daughter, in the last few minutes of her life, Betty was like, I didn't do it. But now I'm going to go be with John and Harold, the loves of my life. And her daughter is like, I totally believe this is true because people confess things in their last minutes of life. I was like, that bitch has been lying for so many years. She's not going to be lying against what I did it. Die. She's going to go out like, <laughs> you guys couldn't see the face I made. Tara had to see it. <laughs> but like, seriously. Yeah. You know, basically, she took all of her secrets to the grave. Yeah. We will never know. Like, James Flynn... We'll never know what the fuck happened to that dude. Mm-mm. Nope. Rick Sills, his death is going to be ruled a suicide forever. Yeah. The one thing I do appreciate is that the detectives on this case, because Harold's case is still open, is that they're like, we're never going to close it. We're going to keep working it. I mean, they know Betty did it or at mm-hmm. least hired someone to do it. But yeah. they're going to get to the bottom of it. And so that makes me feel better for Al, that even though Al has passed on, like, they want justice. Yeah. At least his, so. like, surviving family, you know, can hopefully one day have closure. Right. But I'm going to say this. Ladies, if you're like, wow, that woman had so many husbands that she just got rid of, like, you can't do that today. No, no. Because there's too much tracking. Yeah, don't do that. How people still think you can get away with murder today blows my mind because there's like the dumb people out there. Mm-hmm. It's just this case. I literally just text Tara. Betty is wild. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was my response. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. Like, I don't even know what to do. This, this uh. woman like killed. I think she probably killed 
Obviously, she didn't kill Malone. No. Clarence, because he was murdered elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she killed John and or James, and he's somewhere else. Yeah. She killed Rick. Mm. Which, by the way, the better... <laughs> I'm sorry. The better excuse that she should have, because we've done so many true crime stories, mm-hmm. I was like, no, what she should have said is that he was trying to shoot himself and I took the gun, for, was trying, we were, that's Fighting. a more believable story. Yeah. The struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And that would make sense why you shot him in the side because you're trying to get the gun away. Maybe he pulled the trigger and then like mm-hmm. you were fighting over it and you sh- it set it off again. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah. So she definitely killed him. She definitely had Harold killed. And I'm pretty sure she poisoned her, her last husband. I feel like she did. Yeah, that's yeah, that's all I got. That's Betty. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you all very, very much. And we will see you back here on Thursday. Bye. Bye. Bye.